welcome to Break Talk Podcast. I am your host, Miranda Gullett. Thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. Hello, all. Thanks for joining us. Today, I want to talk about um, a, a, a few things the Lord's been putting on my heart lately, really for about a year. About a year ago, I um, I had this vision or this impression of walking through life like I was walking through a graveyard, a place where there were just tombstones everywhere. And I, I mean, I've never seen the movie Walk Among the Tombstones, but I just kept hearing that. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about treating our lives like a graveyard or treating our lives like a verdant field where there's things that are alive, where there's things that motivate us and drive us and stoke our passions. I feel like a lot of us, a lot of people in general, create these lives that are like graveyards where there are monuments and tombstones that they've helped carve. They've helped memorialize a loss Um, a disappointment, the loss of a person, the loss of a dream, a a scenario or a situation or relationship that didn't go well, and maybe even disastrously, or when we have memorialized and entombed and made it it an identity for us when we've lost something or someone and we stopped there and we let that mark us and not in a way that let us move forward but mark us in a way where we stayed in a graveyard with it and I really feel like the Lord wants to teach us to yes acknowledge when we lost something yes feel the pain and feel the burden and go through the entire process the entire healing grieving process for our disappointments because disappointment is a loss it truly is it's a loss you had a hope you dared to hope for something, you dared to believe that something was possible, and you lost it. It didn't happen. And I feel like the Lord wants to teach us how to be human about that, because he grieved the losses of his friends. He grieved the loss of his life before he lost his life. And I believe that he wants us to be fully human, and I believe that he also wants us to discover his power and his grace and mercy to redeem what was lost, to redeem the disappointment. And instead of it being a tombstone that we live around, that we live in the vicinity of, that he can make it instead, and we can join him in this, we can make it instead an altar. You know, where the Israelites were told to stack rocks and make a memorial, make a remembrance of what the Lord had done for them. I feel like with our disappointments and with our losses, And with the things that we even choose to give up, with things that we even choose to sacrifice because of timing, because of people, whatever the situation might be, he wants to show us how to be human, how to to handle that loss, but also how he can redeem it and make it something else. And with this topic, I, I can't speak vaguely. I can't speak in general terms. I have to get specific. This podcast is called Brave Talk. I have to be brave. I have to tell you guys some stories where I've lived this out, where there are two, there are two instances, there are two situations in my life where the losses were so 
deeply grave, deeply defining for me for a time. And there's, they still, uh, I still feel the loss. I still, I, I still have natural first responses that are actually in line with the loss and not yet fully in line with redemption. But I've been able to walk through redemption and reconciliation and healing in these areas. Thank you, Jesus. And I want to share about them because hopefully my heart and my goal is that hopefully in these two stories, people hear something that they can connect to that reminds them of a loss or disappointment that they had, even if they're not similar at all. But just that you remember that whatever the loss or the disappointment is, whatever the missed mark, whatever the miscommunication or the failed relationship or whatever it is for you, whatever the many things might be for you, that you're triggered, that you remember it, and that you get a hope and you get a vision for not making a tombstone of it, but for making it a testimony, for seeing it come forward, seeing it grow, seeing it develop into a testimony, an altar, and a memorial, even a mile marker in your journey, like there, that mile marker 22, that's when the, that's when this happened and the Lord did this with it. And now my life is like this. So the first, uh, the first story, the first real life application (laughs) of this in my life is, um, so I, uh, for, (laughs) I, I really struggled with um, connecting with people and with having friends for a majority of my life. I'm 35, and I didn't start having really close friendships until a few years ago. I mean, there were a few here and there, um, but, you know, that's a, consider- that's a considerable amount of time to feel like you don't have deep friendships or a best friend or, or people you can trust. You know, I had I had a few here and there. It's not like, you know, it's not like, I didn't know anyone and didn't have any connection with anyone. But for the majority of my life, I have felt very unwanted. I have wondered if I would ever have friends. I would wonder if I would ever have close friends and people that I can connect with. And the best story to illustrate this is, um, I don't think I've shared this story, honestly, and, and not to hide it and not to protect it and not because it hurts too much, but just because it hasn't come up. But I think that, that this story will illustrate my, my frame of mind and, and the disappointment, the loss, the, the, the grief I lived with for a long time. Um, in fifth grade, <laughs> it was my first year at a public school, actually. And we, you know how you have those awkward desk with the chair attached and all that. Well, we had to get into like little huddles, you know, like little clumps of of desks. I think it was like four in a group. I'm not 100% sure on that number, but our teacher gave the word to do it and everyone quickly did it. I mean, I I don't remember a lot of the details anymore because I was, how old are you, like 10 in fifth grade, but I remember it happened really quickly. It was like a flurry around me and it ended with everyone in their little clumps and I was alone in the center of the room at my desk, bursting into tears. Um, you know, I had felt unwanted before that. And I know, I know people on the outside of my life looking in would probably say, there's never a moment you were unwanted. 
There's never a moment you were overlooked or forgotten. But I felt those things. I felt overlooked. I felt forgotten. I felt unwanted. Those would be the three words that would perfectly characterize how I felt a majority of my life. And I still am visited by them. But in that moment, it wasn't just a feeling. It was, or not in that moment, that day. Um, it wasn't just something that I felt. It was something that was plainly clear, right? Everyone has huddled into desks. They're all on the outskirts of the room in their little huddles. I'm alone in the center of the room at my desk. The teacher right in front of me at his podium. And I burst into tears because no one wanted me. And, you know, it's fifth grade. Yes, it's adolescence. Yes, all that, all that stuff, you know, that probably a lot of kids didn't mean to do that. Some of them might have. Kids can be mean. But um, I wasn't sought after. I wasn't wanted. I was overlooked. I was conveniently overlooked. And so that, that, that is a very good illustration for how I felt for the following 20 plus years of my life when it came to friendships. And the Lord's walked me through a lot of healing, a lot. Um, I'm not that, I'm still that girl, actually. I can't say I'm not that girl. Um, but I'm, I'm not in that place anymore. I'm not in that place where I have overwhelming evidence that I'm not wanted. Even though, at the, at looking back, I have overwhelming evidence that I was wanted by the Lord, by my parents, by stuff like, you know, stuff like that. But it's just that situation. I mean, I think a lot of kids have had to deal with that. But that, that never leaves, right? I'm not, I'm not, this podcast isn't about, you know, get rid of your memories and, you know, expect that this traumatic thing will leave you. It's not that, I, that, that won't leave me, most likely. Some of the details have left and they've become fuzzy, but that, that, that memory will never leave me. The teacher couldn't offer anything. I mean, I remember not being helped at all. I don't remember the outcome of the situation. I don't know if some clump had to add a fifth desk or something. I have no idea. Um, you know, and I know that I, I also had a lot of insecurity I was dealing with as well, which who doesn't? <laughs> but that frame of mind went with me for the next 20 plus years, and it's still something that I wrestle all the time. And the Lord has walked me through so much healing specifically regarding unwanted, overlooked, and forgotten. Um, those, are, those are not just words. Those are not just feelings. They're companions. Um, if you've ever read the book, Hind's Feet on High Places, she's accompanied, the, the girl, Much Afraid, is accompanied by, I think it's sorrow and grief? I can't remember. Sorrow and suffering. That's who she's accompanied by. And Overlooked, forgotten, and unwanted are companions. And they are companions who are t slowly turning in to something else, like what happened with Much Afraid, where her companions turned into joy and something else I can't remember. Um, so he has walked me through a lot of healing. But that, that still doesn't take away from the fact that I experienced that. And I experienced other traumatic things as a kid, both good and bad, you know, I mean, trauma doesn't, trauma can just, well, I guess probably good trauma is not a very good way to call it. I've experienced both good and bad things, a healthy dose of both. 
But that experience and a few others were so formative to my way of thinking about my place and what I am and who I am. And I carried unwanted, overlooked, and forgotten for years. Uh, it's still with me. And the, the illustration I have for that is that when someone wants to get to know me or be friends with me <laughs> or be my friend, like I think I'm a decent friend. So I don't get shocked when someone wants me as their friend because, you know, everybody wants friends. But when someone wants to be my friend or wants to talk to me or likes me, likes what I have to say, my first reaction is still shock. I'm still like, what? What? Are you sure? I don't think why. I think, are you sure? That, I, that shock and then it's, are you sure? Those are my two first automatic responses. And it's not humility. That's not, that's not humility. That's not meekness. That's indication of there's still this soft, hurt place. There's still this place that I still need the Lord to come back to me. I still need him to come there with me time and time again and walk me through that, yes, I'm wanted. No, I'm not overlooked. No, I'm not forgotten. And if those things do happen, it's not, it's not the end of the world for one thing, and it's probably not actually directed at me. It's just circumstantial because that's life. We can't take care of each other 24-7. And we can't know everyone's triggers 24-7. So those are some of the things, like some of the things the Lord has like walked me through, walked me through understanding um, to where I don't take it personally. I don't get as hurt, but there's still those places. And sometimes, you know, even in the last couple months, some of them are hit so hard um, the, the overlooked or forgotten or unwanted is hit so hard by, by a situation again, that the person or the situ- I mean, none of it was intentional that I am very tempted to be like, Oh, I wonder if that's just who I am. Let's build a tombstone. Let's, let's walk around this a million times and look at the loss and the disappointment and build up around that instead of bringing it into the light or bringing the light to it and letting the Lord unpack it with me, help me unpack it and tell me the truth as a result of letting him in, as a result of of not wanting to build my identity in a structure around a disappointment, around unwanted, forgotten, and overlooked the Lord has redeemed so much. He has shown me what it means that loneliness is a sanctuary with him. He has shown me um, the the depth of how much he wants us. I mean, I, I hope there's much more to see. I'm sure I haven't seen it all. But it, it this this these these companions for me and this this deep wound for me, this weak weak place that's that's probably always going to be tender. In fact, I hope, I really, really hope this place is always tender. And then I'm always like, Lord, wait. I'm not I'm not forgotten, right? I'm not unwanted, right? You show me that. Can you just help me? Help me again right now in this moment. Remind me. Your word you want me, right? And I hope that this place always stays tender because now when I'm with other people who are experiencing something similar 
or even if 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 they wouldn't even put it that way I, there is just this it's like a superpower it's it's like i can look at them and i am absolutely with like that like there is no convincing it just is the absolute truth that they are wanted that they are needed that they are desired that they are on purpose that there is nothing wrong with their existence the lord wants them as they are these things i had to fight and wrestle and work out with the lord and not build a tombstone around but make it an altar i now i it's like it turned into a superpower it's like it turned into this remarkable remarkable gift that i can even say shocking though this may be I know Hitler was loved and wanted by the Lord. I know he was desired. I feel that just as deeply as I feel his longing and desire for my husband. Not comparing them. <laughs> I just heard that come out of my mouth. I'm not comparing them. I'm just saying. Obviously, I don't care much for Hitler. I care very deeply for my husband. But I can perceive. I can know. I can believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no unbelief, there is no doubt that they are both wanted and desired by the Lord. That they matter. That he wants them. He wants them for his own. And so, again, overlooked, forgotten, and unwanted. My companions, the tender spot still, the companions who are being changed into something else, Though, they, though that's still a weak space, though that's still a tender, though that's still sometimes easily wounded and stirred up. When I'm looking at other people, I can see in the natural with my physical eyes, and I can see in the spirit, in my heart, I can see the truth that they're wanted. I was having coffee the other day with a friend, and she was talking about um, that she's has struggled with, you know, believing if, if God loves her and if, if she's wanted. And I'm paraphrasing, this is not word for word. Um, but I was looking at her face and I was seeing her talk, but I was also seeing her stand before the father and that there was not a doubt in his eyes, how much he wanted and loved her. I could see it with both sets of eyes. <laughs> the ones in my heart, and my the ones in my head, I could see it because I've had to walk through that. Because I've had to walk through buying that. You know, we wisdom is gain with experience, right? And when you know something can be knowledge, but then it becomes wisdom when it's been experienced. And I have had to walk through an experience fighting, wrestling, needing to believe, working it out, processing it out with the Lord that I'm wanted. And now it's, it, it's one of the best gifts in my life. It really is. It's, it's this tender place. It's this broken place. It's this place where there's something beautiful being built. And it's not a tombstone. Nothing was lost there. I was given everything there. That, that day in fifth grade, I was given everything, you guys. It's not a loss. It was a hard thing, and it's a sometimes painful memory, but I was given so much more. I was given the ability to tap into that part of the Lord's heart for us. 
that part of the Lord's heart for, for strangers, for bad people. <laughs> That's a really precious gift. It's something I am endlessly thankful for. The Lord gave me a gift in allowing me to experience a majority of my life feeling and believing that I was unwanted, that I would be alone, that I would never have friends. I said to my mom a couple years ago, I said to her, I don't think I'm ever, I don't know if I'm ever going to have actual friends, mom. And again, if, if we're friends and you're listening, I craved it so deeply. I craved deep friendship and connection so deeply. I wanted to be known so bad. When you feel unwanted, you just, you really want to be known. You want someone to give a darn. And I almost said the other word. Um, so this is, it's a tough one and the Lord's redeemed so much. In the past few years, he's really given me the opportunity to have these really, really precious friendships. Um, they're amazing. They were so worth waiting for you guys. They were so worth waiting for to meet these people that he's, he's brought me along their path and them along mine. They're so worth waiting for. They're precious. I have a friend who I actually met in fifth grade and she wasn't in the class that that experience happened in where I ended up in the middle without a clump. <laughs> um, if she had been in the class, I'm pretty sure she would not have let that happen. She's pretty tenacious and ferocious with friendship and with what's right. Um, she's been a gift. And then I, I have a few other friends through the years who have been gifts. But most recently, the Lord has really brought a lot of deep connection. And I had to wait over 30 years for it. I did. I had to wait over 30 years. And I feel like there is a temptation to let the waiting define the disappointment, to even build a tombstone of waiting for something. I feel like that's kind of a hard concept, but sometimes we allow ourselves to be defined by when we waited for something for her. And I, and I think, I think it's important to wait. It's important to wait. That's, um, to wait well, you know, to worship when you're waiting, to pray and to stay faithful and to stay hopeful but I think that sometimes we can get, we can even be waiting well and build such a monument in our mind and our thoughts to the waiting. And I feel like the Lord is not wanting us to get distracted by, oh, I waited for this. And, you know, that the waiting is the, is the prize or the redemption. And I don't, I don't, I think maybe in some cases it is because, um, Waiting takes a lot of strength and it takes a lot of hope. But I think that sometimes it can be a distraction because I think he wants to do more. I don't think he wants, I don't think he allows things to happen and then wants to take us through things just for the waiting. I think that there's something on the other side that he wants to be that altar, that he wants to be that remembrance. He wants to do something with it. And so I just, just a, a caution about making the waiting the testimony. Keep going. Keep looking for what the Lord will redeem and how he'll redeem it and the actual, the actual testimony. Because my testimony isn't, I waited 30 years for friendship. My testimony is, I, in my testimony in this regard anyway, is I was unwanted, forgotten, and overlooked. 
And the Lord redeemed and healed that and is continuing to. And he has used that to soften my heart so much and to give me such a gift of being able to understand and feel his heart. That's the testimony. Waiting was a part of it. But what he did and the gift he gave when it looked like I was losing everything, the gift he gave is the testimony. So the next story I want to use to try to illustrate this idea of are we walking through our lives like we're walking through a graveyard, making tombstones out of our losses and disappointments, or are we walking through our lives like we're in an alive, inspiring, passion-driving place with the Lord? Um, the next story is uh, about my India trip. So the first episode of this podcast, episode one, is called Failure in Mumbai. It's a more comprehensive look at the story of when I went to India almost seven years ago than I'm going to do right now. But I went to India seven years ago. I had been super excited to go to India. Um, I had wanted to go for about 10 years when I finally got to go. And when there, I contracted some kind of bacterial infection. And I had to, well, I spent three of the I think seven days we were in Mumbai, I think I spent three of them in the hotel room. I missed out on getting to see um, the red light districts and the women who work in them and going to rescue homes for the girls, the daughters of the red light, uh, red light workers. I missed that. I had to come home alone. The rest of the team went on to Eastern India and I missed out on the whole thing that I went to India for. I went because of human trafficking. I went because I wanted to meet these women who work in the red light districts because I honor, respect, love them. I think I just, I would, I I wanted to be in their presence. They're so valuable. They are so precious and they are so worth everything under the sun. I mean, I, I could give it all for them. And I had to come home. I didn't get to meet them. I went all the way to India and didn't get to meet the people I went to meet. And as I talk about in the first episode of the podcast, um, the shame, the ridiculous, crazy shame of that, of having what I thought failed so miserably, messed up the trip. I messed up our finances. It messed me up. The enemy told me a story of shame and I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I became very depressed. I even became suicidal. It was horrendous. It was really, really hard. Uh, I had always felt called to missions. I am just one of those people that someone would come visit our church and talk about where they were and what the Lord was doing. I was like, I have to go. And, um, you know... I don't feel like I have to do a lot of things, but I have to go to the nations. I have to see people in other countries. I have to see them. I There is such an honor and such a reverence I have for other cultures and other ways of life, other doing other ways of doing uh, other way other nationalities. Like I just I'm truly truly compelled and so when this happened, when I essentially, I mean, I, I know that I didn't fail, but it's, it still honestly at times feels like a failure, even though I've clearly processed this a lot. 
And the Lord has really done a lot of healing and redeeming, even um, marked redemption. I mean, like plain as the nose on my face redemption. There's still parts of me that feel like I, I failed. That still comes up from time to time. And so after that happened, you know, and coming home and hiding out and getting depressed and going through all of that, I wouldn't touch missions. People, I would hear other missionaries or I'd read other things and I would just, I, my heart was, my heart was still stirred. Like it wasn't completely dead, but boy, did I do everything I could to shut it down. I really did. I ran from it. I didn't want to do missions. I believed that my new identity, because <laughs> I used to think I was literally going to go to the nations. Like I was going to be gone all the time traveling. Um, but, but the new way I thought about myself was you can't go. You mess it up, you'll fail, you'll hurt people, you'll mess up other people's experiences. You can't do this. You're a bad traveler. You can't do missions. Like, that was the new belief. That was the new structure in my mind about myself. Really messed me up. But the, through a, a number of circumstances over the years, because <laughs> it's been seven years now, over the years, the Lord brought different people, different messages. He himself just started stirring my heart. And um, I I was getting compelled to go near the subject again. And that's really what it was, like to actually like approach missions again. I was just like, there's no way I'm doing it again. I'm not even entertaining the idea of missions. I just was no, no go zone. And the Lord just started bringing inspiration back, started bringing a compelling back. I started reading books where people had gotten sick on the mission field. I started hearing testimonies about things. Messages started coming along and I started getting connected with people who I needed to connect with to get further in the process of healing. And he just, he did all that like really quick, like within a, a year or so, after five years of not letting him go near the subject with me. <laughs> um, maybe four years, something like that, four to five years. And uh, he has worked so much out Yes, I still feel some shame from time to time. Yes, I still feel like a failure from time to time. But I'm on a team this summer to Cambodia and Thailand um, with Destiny Rescue. And this time around has been so much different. I ha have a bigger community of people around me. I've given myself a lot of grace. People have given me a lot of grace. And I'm going into this situation... Sometimes with the fear of loss, if I'm being honest. But most of the time with, this isn't about me. This is about the Lord. This is about the people I'm going to see. And he's, um, the, this, the, it's just the experience is so much different this time. Like he's had me be, I felt, I felt like he's wanted me to be way more interactive than I was last time. Like way more, way more vulnerable, way more brave, way more um, asking for help. Like I have never asked for help like I have this year, just, just, just since 2019. And it's only been a few months and it's been wild, the, the, the changes. And so he's redeeming it. And I'm going back to the mission field. I'm going back to Southeast Asia in particular, where the first disaster happened. And it's not because I'm strong. It's not because I'm anything. It's because he, 
he gave a call, he put a desire and a compelling, and he's going to have his way, right? I'm not going to entomb India. I'm not going to entomb missions and keep it as a no-go and walk in a graveyard where missions once lived instead of following the Lord. And the Lord's going to Cambodia and Thailand this summer and I'm going to follow. I want to live in a verdant field where things can live, where dreams can live. And so where for a number of years I was not good enough and I was a mistake and a failure, now it's not really about that. Now it's listen closely to the Lord and follow closely with Him and see what He does. See what He opens up. See where He takes me. See where He takes us. It's, it's so different now. He's, he's redeeming it. And I, I, I doubt this is the end of the journey with that. And I, you know, I doubt that this particular missions trip is the full circle. I don't think it is. I think I'm going to be experiencing the full circle for a lot of years. Because if he, if we have a desire or a passion for something that is meant to be in our life, there's no question about it. That's meant to be in our life. Then I have a passion for missions and I lost it. I lost it. I got disappointed. There was failure. There was shame. There was there was death of that. For a long time, to be honest, I did walk in a graveyard of missions. All the places I would never go, all the things I would never do, all the people I would never see. That was my belief. That was my existence for a while. So I, I, I actually know what it is to walk in a graveyard. And it brought depression and suicide you can't live there right you can't live there that is where things are buried and so I really want to encourage us to look at our disappointments and losses differently instead of seeing an irredeemable loss or failure instead of seeing yet more proof that your life sucks We need to reframe disappointment. If we're disappointed, it's because we hoped. It's because we believed. It's because there was something there that's meant to exist. It's not because we were wrong or stupid. It's because there's something there that is meant to exist. It's supposed to be alive. And it might go through a process but it's meant to be alive. The dreams I've laid down and the losses I've experienced, when those things, when those desires and passions and dreams were given back to me, they were not simply mine anymore. They're so much bigger than me. The friendships are so much bigger than me. They're, it's not just about me having friends. It's about being a friend and being in community And seeing people the way the Lord sees them. And learning to do that more and more. Missions isn't about me either. (laughs) Turns out a lot of our passions and dreams are about us. And I think to get them rightly related and rightly beneficial to us and others. 
There is a process of loss and disappointment involved. But that isn't where it ends. That isn't, we're not supposed to stay in the graveyard. My passion and desire, they do push me. They keep me motivated. They help me to say yes to opportunities and to the process. They help me to say yes and to make progress and keep going. They are my energy, but they're not about me. These are hilariously not mine. It's hilariously not mine. Not my identity. My identity is wanted. It's not friendship, not how good a friend I am or how many friends I have. It's not missions, where I go and what I do and who I see. My identity is wanted. So what used to mark me and what still is sometimes tender worked out to define me in the exact opposite way. And I really feel like that's what the Lord wants for us. It takes the time to examine your losses and disappointments. We need the time. We need the time to be human, to process, to grieve, to feel sad, to feel disappointed, to be angry. Sometimes that we have to experience these awful, awful, painful things. But then to keep going. You can't stop. You can. You're allowed to stop. Please don't stop at anger and frustration and loss. Uh, when the Lord has given these things back to me, and as he continues to trust and redeem things, it's like I'm being trusted with something so much better than either what I gave up or what I lost. It's so much better. Heading into missions again this time is so sweet. It's so, so sweet. It's so beautiful. Because it's, hopefully it's being done a lot better than last time. And the friendships are so sweet and so beautiful and they taste so good because I know I know the Lord's heart better than I did before because I had to walk through these things. I just really want us to look at our opportunities and our losses and failures, miscommunications and heartbreaks, lost relationships as places we can meet the Lord to make an altar instead of building a gravestone. Let a testimony, let a story of triumph, overcoming, a grand adventure, success, or life beyond your imagination be what comes up. Be what you spend time investing in, not a gravestone. Thank you for joining us.